This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, August 8th, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. Every seat in the House of Representatives is up for grabs in November, and the GOP is focused on reclaiming the majority by telling Americans how they are fighting to resolve kitchen table issues like inflation. We're doing everything we can to push back against this Biden-Pelosi economy, um, which is devastating for Iowa families. Um, And that's exactly what I've been hearing when I'm out on the road in my district. I'm Chris Foster. Whatever else is happening in the economy, the job market's still hot. Big time numbers. July jobs added 528,000. That's more than double the expectations. Even the rate went down 3.5%. And I'm Chad Wolf. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Before Congress can fully take off for summer vacation, lawmakers must finish up with the massive tax and spending plan now labeled the Inflation Reduction Act. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat, helped cut the deal with leadership and defended the package in a press conference last week. This is a balanced bill that gives us energy security this country desperately needs. It gives us a pathway forward. And people say, well, this is a Democrat bill, Republican bill, or a Green bill. This is a red, white, and blue bill. Honest to God. But on the GOP side, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell argues the legislation doesn't live up to the hype. Calling an inflation reduction bill is rather laughable. Independent analysis indicates it actually increases inflation in the next two years. South Carolina Republicans Senator Lindsey Graham added to criticism, arguing on Fox and Friends that the bill will hurt those least able to afford it, citing the Congressional Budget Office prediction. The CBO says next year inflation will go up or down 0.1 percent, so that's not much of a reduction. This bill has tax increases on imported oil. The taxes in the bill will be passed on to consumers at the $75,000 or below level. And while the July jobs report beat expectations this This week, Republican Congresswoman Ashley Hinson says her constituents in Iowa are still struggling. Well, it's interesting because it's clear that that has not impacted the people I'm talking with in my district. Uh, Every employer I talk to can't find people to fill jobs. Ashley Hinson represents Iowa's first congressional district. Several of my employers have hundreds of jobs open, so um, I think it's, it's incongruous with what I'm actually hearing from my constituents in Iowa's first district. The White House says we're not in a recession. There's been a whole lot of back and forth about do two quarters mean we're in a recession or not. In your view, from the great state of Iowa, are we in a recession? We absolutely are. And you can play around with the definition of it all you want to. But uh, I would say the last ounce of common sense has left the Democrat Party when they are talking about spending more money after two quarters of an economy that is contracting. Um, We sounded the alarm on this, you know, last year that um, spending more money Uh, would raise uh, inflation rates, and it did. And then now they're talking about spending more money during record inflation and raising taxes during a recession. It's just an absolutely terrible idea. 
Well, speaking of that, they are planning in the Senate to go through and and try to pass the spending deal struck between Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. Uh, they just found out uh, Thursday night that they had a 50th vote in uh, Kirsten Cinema out of Arizona. So, what about the timing of this? And does it get through the House without drama? Well, there's always uh, plenty of drama in the House, but I would say it's uh, never the right time to raise taxes on hardworking Americans. But this bill not only raises taxes, but it spends more money that we don't have. Um, and it raises taxes on working families and Americans. And uh, when we see these Green New Deal priorities, that is a huge uh, red flag to our Iowa farmers and Iowa working families. Um, they see subsidies for electric vehicles, for example. Um, they take that as a slap in the face when they're just trying to make sure they have enough money to put food on the table and gas in their cars. So um, we're doing everything we can to push back against this Biden-Pelosi economy, um, which is devastating for Iowa families. Um, And that's exactly what I've been hearing when I'm out on the road in my district. A lot of us Washington political journalists get to spend a whole lot of time in Iowa every four years, seeing a lot of charming towns and meeting a lot of great folks. I'm curious what they're telling you as you travel your district uh, about the state of the economy, what inflation's doing to them, and if they can find the work that they need in terms of workers. Right. Well, absolutely. Employers are telling me, again, they have hundreds of jobs that they need to be able to fill. Um, we've seen what the triple threat of Democrat leadership is. It's more reliance on government. It's increased um, budget for the IRS so they can target working Iowans. Um, so I see that and I hear from my constituents about that. And, and that's exactly what they're raising the alarm on. They're concerned about taxes going up at a time when they're, again, using most of their available income to just get by. Uh, encounter Iowans every single day who uh, have similar stories. One woman at a gas station had only put 20 bucks in her big big truck uh, for over a year because she could not afford to fill up her gas tank. And she was on her way to go to the free health clinic to get treatment. So um, this is the real impact on working Iowans and hardworking people in this country. And I, I would ask, when was the last time Speaker Pelosi actually went to a gas pump and filled up her own car? Um, she's out of touch and the Democrats in Congress are out of touch. For city slickers who might be listening to this interview, um, explain to them why farmers in, in rural Iowa and elsewhere are so critical to this economy and our country. Yeah. Well, Iowa farmers feed and fuel the world. And you look at the corn, the soy, the hogs. My district is the fifth largest hog uh, farming district in the country. Um, so we are truly raising the, the meat that you buy from the grocery store. And this is why I tell my colleagues, for instance, from California, uh, who want to overregulate uh, our farming industry and our agriculture industry, um, you, you don't buy your food from the grocery store. It comes from a farm. And that's, um, that's an important supply chain lesson, I think, that many of my colleagues need to learn. But um, these farmers are, are facing increased costs in, in the diesel fuel that they're using to power their trucks and the fertilizer they're using to fertilize their fields. Um, every single one of those costs gets passed on to us as consumers. So um, th- the farmers absolutely have a huge critical role in making sure our economy can stay vibrant and that trade stays vibrant around the world as well. So um, we are doing everything we can to continue to tell their stories, uh, push back against overregulation from the EPA, uh, push back against these high gas prices that we're seeing that are driving up costs of everything for everyone. Speaking of spending, Democrats think that student loan relief is a big winner for them. Um, whenever the majority party takes up stuff in an election year like this, they clearly think it's a winner for them. You have said that you think uh, it is bad for working class families. Do you think voters agree with you? 
Absolutely. You know, what I hear from working Iowans is they don't want to pay for someone else's fancy degree. Uh, we have many people who have, you know, gone straight into an electric lineman job or a plumber job. Um, they didn't necessarily uh, shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college. They're actually contributing to the economy straight out the gate. And uh, why should they have to foot the bill for someone else's degree? Uh, everybody understands that you cannot eliminate that debt. It just gets passed on to someone else. So um, Iowans have told me time and time again, they're against transferring that debt to taxpayers. They're against tax increases on taxpayers and they're against government overreach uh, time and time again. That's what I hear out on the trail. Okay, to the midterms, uh, Democrats and liberal pundits seem to be encouraged, perhaps gaining confidence about the midterms with some polling suggesting it may be a little closer than Republicans would like. Uh, What's your take on looking ahead to the midterms? Are Republicans definitely going to win back the House? I'm confident we're going to not only win back the House, but fire Nancy Pelosi as speaker, because everywhere I go, Iowans understand uh, what is at stake here. Uh, we, we told them this is a roadmap that Democrats want. They want increased reliance on government. They want increased spending. And they uh, they don't care about the, the hardworking people every single day who, again, are, are telling me their stories about the impact. The, the mom who's trying to fill up her grocery cart, the senior who's on a fixed income and uh, is really, really worried about being able to afford everything. The small business owner who maybe has faced supply chain issues, can't get what she needs. The shipping costs are higher, so um, they're having to pass that on to their customers if they can get them to come in the door with what limited resources they have. So those stories um, are not going away, and that frustration and anger is still very much so palpable in Iowa, and I hear it around the country, too, from my colleagues. So I think that um, Democrats are trying to pander with the policies they're putting on the floor um, and trying to, again, message to um, certain people that they want to wipe away their debt. Again, um, that's not reality, and everyone who's going to go to the polls knows what reality is. It's that their life is harder and less affordable under this administration. You and your Republican colleagues have complained about spending in Washington, uh, but there have been times when Republicans have been in charge where they've spent more than fiscal conservatives would like. Um, How can you guarantee that Republicans are going to be careful with the power of the purse? Well, I think first and foremost, we understand uh, what this out of control spending has done to our economy and our voters have will give us an edict. Right. We have to go in and be responsible stewards of taxpayer dollars. Uh, when I ran for office, I had three priorities. It was to respect taxpayers, to, to stand up for rural America and to fight for safety and security. So uh, my priority will be continuing those three tenants and making sure as a member of the Appropriations Committee, we're making the right investments in the right places and not overspending, um, as we've seen. Um, you've got uh, that reconciliation package that passed last year that sent money to uh, golf courses and Japanese citizens overseas. Um, prisoners, uh, you know, like Larry Nasser and the, the church shooter from Charleston got checks. Um, that's just absolute madness. And, you know, that rubs Iowa taxpayers the wrong way. So um, I know they that my voters know that I'm looking out for them. Those are the kinds of red flags that I'm raising about spending. And I'm going to make sure we're making responsible investments and doing everything I can to get those resources back to Iowa. Do you think the Sunset Act, which you are a co-sponsor of, would be a big help on that front? I do. Uh, One of the biggest pieces of feedback I hear from our employers in this district is that the cost of regulation on doing business is is driving their costs higher. Uh, And so I think we need to 
restore congressional oversight to that process. Uh, you, you talk about the alphabet soup in Washington, D.C., right? The EPA, uh, the IRS, all these agencies that try to use rules to continue to creep into Iowans' everyday lives and Americans' everyday lives. Um, Americans are tired of that. And that's why they elect us as members of Congress. Um, and both parties are guilty of this. The executive branch has taken too much power away from Congress. So our intention is to restore that oversight to Congress and make sure that uh, they have to come to us and validate why they need something and that we are actually being the ones to decide what's needed. Okay, so here we are, almost a full term in for you. Um, I'm curious what your experience has been like. I know being in the minority party stinks. <laughs> I've heard that from plenty of lawmakers over the years, but I'm wondering what the experience has been like and perhaps how the job may have been different or maybe different than what you thought going in. Well, I, I would say this. I'm certainly looking forward to serving in the majority in Congress where we can drive the agenda and help right the wrongs that have uh, occurred in the, the first year and a half of my term here. But um, what I will say is that I've worked very hard to be a serious legislator and develop relationships on both sides of the aisle. So um, I understand that I'm in the minority now. I'll hopefully be in the majority soon, but someday again, I may be in the minority. And I think it's really important that um, no matter what happens with the political situation in Washington, that I'm going there to represent Iowans and I'm not going to sit on my hands. I'm going to work to get everything done. I can. And so that's what I've tried to do in the minority. I take small wins as big wins for my district. And um, that that is what keeps me going and what, what makes me want to keep working for Iowans. There are some folks who say that you have a very bright future ahead, perhaps leadership at some point. What do you say about that kind of speculation? What I say is I'm working very, very hard to make sure we win. And we fired Nancy Pelosi in November. That's my number one priority. But I'm working with our entire conference to make sure we advance smart, good policies that, again, protect the freedoms that we love in this country. And um, I'm happy to be a part of uh, this historic freshman class. We had a lot of women, um, veterans and minorities come in, and uh, we just have so much to be proud of in terms of the work that we're doing to defend uh, the, the good experiment that we are all living under here in the United States. Congresswoman Ashley Hinson of the great state of Iowa, thank you so much for your time. Safe travels. Thank you for having me, Mike. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Chad Wolf with your Fox News commentary coming up. A recession may be coming, but there's new evidence we're not there yet. Despite two quarters now of negative economic growth, the monthly jobs report shows stronger than expected hiring. President Biden at the White House calls the report outstanding, but says there's more work to do. I know it's hard to feel good about job creation when you already have a job and you're dealing with rising prices, food and gas and so much more. I get it. A lot of Americans are feeling the pinch and consumer sentiment is low. But so far, higher interest rates and the highest inflation in 40 years are not slowing down the job market. Big time numbers. July jobs added 528,000. That's more than double the expectations. Even the rate went down 3.5%. Jerry Willis is a Fox Business correspondent. Now, I got to tell you, the White House was kind of guiding reporters lower, kind of like seeming to hint that the numbers might be disappointing. And then we get this big blowout number. And the question that arises in my mind is, 
how does this square with the idea that we might be headed towards recession, right? And the reality is, is that so many companies are hiring because they've been so behind on hiring. You know, I know you've heard these stories. Everybody from Walmart to tech companies have been short of workers, so they hire when they can't. Yeah. Briefly, we always, when we preview the jobs reports, we always say, you know, a survey of economists, yada, yada, yada. How does every, I understand it's a, it's a little bit art and a little bit science. How does everybody get it so wrong some <laughs> some weeks, some months? If the, I mean, I'm sure some people said the number was going to be bigger. Some people said the number was going to be lower. Everybody kind of settled on about half what we got. Are their inputs wrong? I think that's a great question, and I've asked myself this several times, too, because it seems to me that when it matters most, you have the biggest misses, right? Right. And that's because things have changed. Fundamental assumptions about the economy have changed. So what's been happening that has made it almost impossible for economists to forecast jobs has been covid yeah. It's been they've never been through this before. It's brand spanking new to them. How it works out initially, during and after has been a big mystery. And you are correct. Most of them got it wrong. Well, I mean, I guess if you have a sort of formula for get, for predicting anything, the weather, they have jobs, formulas. Yes, they, have they formulas, do. But but they don't have the again the inputs that they there is no there's no precedent for what happened in in 2020. I would guess that their formulas do not include a national pandemic. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> uh, all, all the jobs that, that were lost during the pandemic, 22 million, they're all back now. Right. Um, they're not obviously the same exact jobs. What's has anything shifted? Well, now that's a great question, too. I think what's happened is that you're getting more hiring at levels that are not high paying, more in the service industry. So you see that the leading job sector in this particular month, leisure and hospitality, I believe it's 96,000 jobs on offer in July. And that's, I believe, what you're seeing, because when you talk to people who are in higher price jobs, it's not necessarily that wide open. Those people aren't aren't job hopping as much as people on the lower uh, end. Um, What about labor participation? That's not quite back to what it was. What's going on there? So labor participation has been disappointing for some time. It continues lower this month. uh, And this is part of the issue for employers, right? They don't really have a great pool of people to pull from. So this is one of the things that makes things so frustrating for people who want to expand their workforce. And there are a lot of them, although we are starting to get employers who are saying, you know what? We're going to be letting people go. And that's really what you want to watch for the future, uh, suggested layoffs. Let me give you an example uh, that I thought was really telling about this month. DoorDash, the delivery people. So they uh, had an earnings report. They blew out the numbers. Their stock was up 13% in after hours trading. It's down a little bit from there. But even so, they had more orders than they've ever had before, a huge increase. And yet, management was telling analysts, guess what? The back half of the year does not look good, and we will likely not make our numbers for the back half of the year. So that's what you're seeing right now. A lot of people are, you know, like even the big consumer product makers from Procter & Gamble, the retailers, Walmart, they're all concerned about spending in the future right now. And, you know, as you and I have discussed, there's lots of things companies are doing to try to hang on to their results, their earnings and their revenues through that. Uh, if, If there is one, the downside to a good jobs report uh, could be when you pair it with inflation. The Fed's been trying to straddle this line. 
keeping job growth strong and keeping inflation down. Uh, Dual mandate. Right. So, where where do we stand after this July jobs report? So, uh, by the way, there were revisions upwards to May and June. So, this wasn't just blowout for this month. Two months back, they did better. Um, We're not seeing wage growth popping dramatically here. Uh, It's about what it's been, 5.2%, which is big, hello, but uh, not above the previous month. Look, I think one of the unintended consequences of this, and you're seeing it play out in the stock market, is that the expectation now, because we've had a strong jobs report, is that the Fed is really going to put their foot on the pedal come September and put in place a 75 basis point rate hike. Now, we had just gotten numbers that mortgage rates, for example, were back below 5%, but that will drive them right back up. So, that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, wages up, like you said, about five percent year over year. Inflation's what eight nine percent year over year. Yeah, nobody's keeping up. If right. that's your point, right? So, well, when did those? My question is, when did those numbers? When did the x and y axis get back together? When? When? And if I could answer that question, <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, so let's think about how to think about that, right? Like, when did those two things come more into alignment? It's really an open question. Do we get recession? When does it come? How deep is it? How long is it? Um, I think Wall Street has been betting on a shallow, short recession, either later this year or early next. But it's an open question. Let's talk about shrinkflation, something you've been covering uh, on Fox Business. Well, first of all, explain what it is for the for, for people who may not well, know. You know, I got to tell you, I think every consumer out there knows this. Whether they know the word or not, that you probably notice it's happening. Right. So when you go grocery shopping and you're buying your consumer products, whether it's shampoo or deodorant or toothpaste or whatever it is or food, uh, you're paying more for less, and the companies are in some cases shrinking their packaging and charging the same, or shrinking their packaging and charging more. And we're seeing this really across the board from all kinds of uh, food categories to lotion and hairspray and you name it. It's interesting because I think consumers get this immediately. You go on um, Twitter and people are putting up pictures of their Colgate and they're really (laughs) pissed, you know, they're not happy about the shrinking of the size. But it's not surprising because these consumer product makers are trying to defend their margins, trying to keep their revenue moving higher, earnings moving higher. And it's really hard in this environment. You'll remember... Walmart, in its most recent report, uh, earnings report, said that people were trading down to off-brand products. And the other thing that they said that really unnerved me, frankly, is that people were not buying a whole gallon of milk for the family. They were buying a half gallon. And that would seem to suggest that some people, at least, are really having a hard time right yeah, now. Yeah, really, really hand-to-mouth. And Walmart and others have been stocking more uh, smaller sizes, half gallons of milk, for example. Right. I remember a long time ago, your you know regular old can of tuna would be six ounces. At some point, it became five, and that then that's become the standard. So it's not like this is a, a completely brand new thing, but it does seem to become a lot. It seems to have become a lot more widespread, and even and almost a little more brazen. Uh, just personal anecdote: the wife came home from the store the other day, box of Cheez Its. Look how much smaller this is. It's like it's noted. I don't I don't know the ounce off the top of my head, but it was noticeably smaller, and it seems to be across the board. Or when you open the cereal box and you look in and it's only like half full. Right. I, I think consumers, they are not duped by this. They get it. They're smart. You're trying to feed your family. You know what you usually spend. And this is a hardship for people out there who are really struggling to make ends meet. Now, the big question is, 
is whether this Good News July jobs report has follow through in other economic reports in coming weeks. I don't know. That box of Cheez-Its, though, it's never going to get the same size again, right? I mean, it's just going <laughs> to, it's whatever they shrank it to, that's that's what it is now. Hey, I don't know. I can't speak to that. They change their box sizes all the time. <laughs> okay. Everybody does. Uh, talk about the lipstick effect. I know a, a little bit of what it is. It's, in, it's interesting psychologically. Right. It is interesting. So, you know, let's say you're in, you're in a tough time, right? And you're going to the grocery store and you're trying to save money. You're not buying steak. Uh, you're not buying expensive cheeses. You, it's tuna fish for you, to your point, but you might just want one luxury item. I just need some treat. I need a treat. Yeah. Yeah. So it might be lipstick or nail polish, or it might be an expensive bottle of booze for some people. And those consumer product makers out there, they're hip to this. And so not only are they, you know, squeezing down the sizes, as you say, which may never return, but they're also offering things in that luxury category too. Trey Willis, Fox Business. Always a pleasure, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, President Biden and the First Lady will travel to eastern Kentucky to survey the recent deadly flood areas and meet with those families who were affected. Also, Greg McMichael sentencing for a federal hate crime conviction. He initiated the chase in Georgia that led to the fatal shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Tuesday. It's primary day in Connecticut, Minnesota, Vermont, and Wisconsin. Wednesday. President Biden signs a bill that will provide aid to military veterans who were exposed to toxic burn pits during service. Thursday. The Field of Dreams game will see the Chicago Cubs play the Cincinnati Reds in Iowa. The game inspired by the 1989 movie of the same title, starring Kevin Costner, Ray Liotta, James Earl Jones, and more. Friday. E.T. Phone Home. The extraterrestrial movie will be heading to IMAX theaters to celebrate its 40th anniversary. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Anna Eliopoulos, Fox News. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. What's on your mind? The past 18 months, our nation has experienced a historic crisis at the southern border fueled by the Biden administration's immigration policies, allowing millions of illegal aliens into the country. Texas and Arizona are ground zero for this border crisis and over the past 17 months have been pleading with the federal government to address the record number of illegal aliens and amounts of deadly fentanyl flooding into their communities. The federal government's response has been derelict. President Joe Biden and his supposed border czar, Vice President Kamala Harris, have refused to visit the border. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas continues a deliberate disinformation campaign by stating the border is closed, the border is secure. Apparently, Washington, D.C. Mayor Mario Bowser didn't get the party line memo, as even she recently begged the Department of Defense to deploy the National Guard to address the humanitarian crisis in her city and her insistence that D.C. taxpayers not foot the bill. I offer my congratulations to the first big city mayor to finally recognize that the disaster 
at the border does not end at the border states. And I say, welcome to the fight. But it raises a larger question. Where has the mayor of the nation's capital and other big city mayors been on this issue the last year and a half? A cynic may find Bowser's call for National Guard involvement in D.C. to be self-serving and too little too late, occurring only after she has experienced the consequences of out-of-control illegal immigration firsthand. Since April, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey began busing illegal aliens apprehended at the border to the nation's capital in a last-ditch effort to shame the Biden administration into confronting the border crisis. Mayor Bowser recently noted that D.C.'s homeless shelters are overrun with illegal aliens and that D.C. is unable to provide for homeless Americans in Washington due to the approximately 6,000 illegal aliens bust to the nation's capital in the last three months. For the mayor, this counts as being overwhelmed and underfunded. Imagine how small towns in Texas are doing with 7,000 illegal aliens coming through per day this summer. If Bowser was serious, why stop at just D.C. and not call for the deployment of the National Guard directly to the southern border? This brings me to the hypocrisy of the mayor's cries for the National Guard assistance. This is the same mayor who openly flouts federal immigration law by proclaiming D.C. a sanctuary city. Such a designation encourages human traffickers and illegal aliens to come to these jurisdictions, while U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement is impeded by local officials from enforcing the law and removing dangerous criminal illegal aliens. Politicians who are serious about curbing illegal immigration should immediately discontinue unlawful sanctuary city policies and call on the Biden administration to vigorously enforce our immigration laws at the border and in the interior of the country. I agree that we have a humanitarian crisis and that local taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook for the Biden administration's failed policies. But neither should all Americans, by diverting federal taxpayer dollars into processing more illegal aliens instead of advancing strategies that deter them from taking the dangerous journey in the first place. Bowser has an opportunity to be a true trailblazer by becoming the first big city mayor to shun the failed policies of the Biden administration and embrace America first immigration policies that secure the border, end human trafficking and defeat the cartels. This is Chad Wolf, former acting U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security and the executive director and chief strategy officer of the America First Policy Institute. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.